Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Beth Ann Matthews is the author of Deep Waters, a memoir of loss, Alaska adventure, and love rekindled. Beth Matthews is a marine biologist and a mother of one son. She grew up in a large family in the Midwest and earned a degree in animal science at Purdue University. After three years as a zookeeper in the bird department at the Tulsa Zoo, she was granted a leave of absence to volunteer with a team of biologists on an ambitious study of breeding humpback whales in Hawaii. That experience inspired her to pursue a master's degree in marine biology at the University of California, Santa Cruz. As a professor at the University of Alaska Southeast, Beth taught courses in biology, behavioral ecology, and marine mammalogy, and led research on harbor seals, stellar sea lions, and harbor porpoises with her students, mainly in Glacier Bay National Park. 
She has also studied humpback ray and sperm whales and briefly sleeper sharks and led undergraduate research programs on board tall ships in the Gulf of Maine and from field camps in Hawaii and Alaska. After 20 years in Alaska, Beth and her husband sold their home to begin an expedition with their young son on the family's 42-foot sailboat from Alaska to Mexico's Sea of Cortez. Feedback from her blog during the three-year journey inspired her to write stories about their sailing adventures as well as Deep Waters, a memoir about her family's struggle to survive and move beyond her husband's unusual stroke in 2008. She published numerous scientific papers and a chapter from Deep Waters, placed second in the 2018 Redwood Writers Memoir Contest. Deep Writers is her first book. She lives with her husband and their boat-loving shipperky on an island in Washington. Welcome, Beth. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Deep Waters, a memoir of loss, Alaska adventure, and love rekindled. The pleasure is mine, Zibby. It's great to be here. Thank you. Can you please tell listeners about your book? Everything about your book. <laughs> yes, everything. Well, I'm a marine biologist. I grew up in Indiana, and I ended up in Alaska, where I had a career for 20 years working at the university and teaching. And my husband was a is a was a field scientist there. And when we when our son was nine, so we were you know both working at our careers. Life was good. And one morning, my husband, my very healthy husband, the kind of guy who actually rode his bike to work in the winter in Alaska with studded tires and special <laughs> special booties to keep the snow from shoving up his cups, just that winter before, he came and brought me coffee that morning. And then the next thing I knew, he was coughing and choking. And he had been slammed by a very rare type of stroke that was actually triggered by scraping and painting our skylight. So that incident is the inciting incident of my book. And the book is really how we navigated the next year as a couple and a family. And we did clash on how his recovery would proceed. He he was very, very determined to walk again. He 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 was not able to walk after the stroke and swallowing without choking was difficult. He had trouble reading. He had nystagmus where his eyes jittered side to side. And my reaction was to be very protective of him and keep him safe at home. But we were sailors. We are sailors. We had a boat and we still have that same boat um, that we, my husband, I lived on it for seven years before our son was born. And he really wanted to get out and go sailing in Alaska's Inside Passage, which has some risk involved in it. And we did eventually do that. So the book really is the story of that first year of how we worked through our conflict of me wanting to hold him back, but him really needing to get out and do these adventurous things that he always loved to push his body and himself to recover. And ultimately, it's a I think it's a very uplifting story in that the stroke pushed me to reevaluate my priorities and make a decision to live a less secure but more adventurous connected life at the end. You know, it's funny when you were talking about his desire to get out there and be adventurous and your sort of knee-jerk instinct to keep him close and safe. I was like, this sounds so much like how I am with my children. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Exactly. It is. Actually, the first day I had to leave him, him, my husband, home alone. And he's, you know, he's just a super competent guy. I mean, I, but he also was a little bullheaded about insisting on not we were sent home he was sent home with a walker and a wheelchair 
And I was told that he would need those for a couple of several weeks. And he absolutely refused to use them. And we lived on the, our main home was on the second floor. So I knew he'd have to go up or he would be inclined to go up and down the stairs. And we, our first clash after we got home, we were, you know, we're, we are a very solid couple. We love each other so much and we're good friends, but I just couldn't help it. I was fearful. I had to go to work. I had this image embedded in my head of him falling down the stairs because he had almost fallen during one of the rehab training sessions or, you know, it was sort of an accident caught midair sort of, but, um, so yeah, I had to figure out how to dial back that protective nature, just like we do with our young children as they're growing. We have to sort of we have to let them make mistakes, let them fall down and get hurt, so they so they can pick themselves up. Um, but yeah, there was definitely tension around that, and I yeah. My daughter yesterday was was like, you know, can you cut an apple up for me? And I was busy like with the camp forms or something. And she's like, actually, you know, I, you taught me how to do this the other day. I can do this. And I was like, oh, wait, just hold on. I'll like, just give me a second and I'll do it. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, she's like going to cut off her finger. And then I was like, but if I don't let her ever cut an apple, how was she ever not going to cut off her finger? Anyway, I ended up like stopping what I was doing and like went around her with my hands, like hovering so that like, if it were to slip, I could pull her away and she did it fine, you know? And now I'm like, well, maybe next time I'll slowly you know, not that this is analogous. I know your husband went through, and as as you detailed so well in the book, I feel like I was there with you every step of the way of that like horrific first day and the medevac and the whole thing. But anyway, it's that sense of like, you know, could I control it? I probably couldn't have. She could have cut, cut her finger off even if I was an inch away if it was going to happen. But anyway, there you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And I know you you wrote about your son in the book a lot too, and how it was so important to you to keep him close to you during that first day and um, getting him a spot on the plane. I was like rooting for him so much. And I'm like, how could you know? What is she going to do if she has to leave her son? And, and, you know, I don't usually read the back of the books before I start reading them. Like ages ago, I read what it's about and then I kind of forget and put them in the yes pile so that I'm always surprised by what happens. So I have to say, I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, is he having a stroke? Is this going to be nothing? Is this the mm-hmm. worst thing ever? Is he going to make, like, it was so terrifying as a reader, not knowing the outcome. So the way you did all that sort of, you know, stress and suspense really almost in the way you told the story was, was really powerful. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I assume that you are okay with that. <laughs> Of course I'm okay with that. It was, no, no, I'm, of course. I'm just like, even little details. And I was wondering how you remember all this. And if you took notes at the time of like, who said what to you when and which colleague and who came in the room and like all that stuff. How do you remember any of it? Because sometimes with trauma, you just forget like the whole thing. I realized that, so I have on and off throughout my life, kept journals. I'm not like a journal writer with a capital J where I would put them on the library shelf. They're kind of in a, an assortment of notebooks and so on. And probably, I'm sure my training as a field biologist, I kept field notes as things were happening. Right. And so right away, even in that medevac jet, I started writing things down You know about what was happening, what I was hearing from the doctors, and also blebbing right into it my emotions yeah there was no separation between that sort of the scientist side and the oh my gosh this is my husband uh, very emotional alarmed side and um and I've, I the notebook from 
actually, at first I didn't have a notebook, but the first day I bought one. And as I drew upon that so much, and one of the things I noticed, I don't know if other people are like this, but if I have a good pen and nice paper, my handwriting is actually quite good because I grew up in that era where we, <laughs> but my handwriting can change, you know, with urgency or the mood. And I can see on the pages and almost feel in some cases, the, you know, sense of fear and alarm coming through my handwriting. But as even when the doctors would come by, I would, well, I would take notes then. Um, but those scrawled notes, not only the exact words I might use, but the way I wrote and, you know, maybe how the page had a stain of coffee on it. All those little organic clues, I think, helped me open what I think of when I'm writing memoir. I've come to think of it as I, if I approach a scene that I haven't drafted yet, I think it's there's like a trapdoor lid that I have to open. And the first time I try to get at it, it's like, I don't want to do it. It's going to be too hard. I open that first trapdoor and then, and then the writing for that first draft takes me down to the next trap door and it opens. And before I know it, I am like back in the place, smelling, feeling, feeling it. Um, so some of that is, uh, the, those journals helped. I did, I, Virginia Mason hospital years later was very good about releasing, of course, with my husband's permission, all of his medical records. I got all of them. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, it was remarkable. So where I had something in my notes about uh, something happening, I could corroborate it and and get the medical detail. Not that I, you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not trying to write a book as if I am, but I wanted, of course, to have as much accurate about how his situation unfolded and the ups and downs of it. And then another memory prompt I use, I didn't have much in that case, but well, when I write about our sailing, we have a logbook for the boat. It's a pre-printed one. It's wonderful. And it, you know, you're supposed to record when you leave and enter a harbor. But I I would just, I wrote by hand in those. And so I could go back to those to tell some of our, the book does have adventure in it, outdoor yeah. adventure. It's not all in a hospital. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So those, and then I think other writers probably do this too, but referencing photos to me can open mm -hmm. gates to memory. Wow. That's awesome. Um, I know the outdoor adventure and the fact that you're in Juneau, Alaska to start and even how to deal with the medical care there and life afterwards. I worked with a woman, Lee Newman, who's wrote a book that takes place in Alaska and she's from Alaska. I have a bookseller friend who I email with who's in Alaska. I don't know. I've had this new, oh, The Great Alone, of course, by Kristen. Oh, Hanna. yes. I love that. Yeah. And so I feel like, I don't know, I've been on, oh, and even... Um, Mother Trucker, which is another memoir that took place in Alaska. So I don't know. I feel like I've been on a literary Alaska kick. And it's so interesting because I feel like Alaska is, it's a character already. Like, you know that that's a character in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a character that I think a lot of us fall in love with. And uh, and yet it's a character that can be unforgiving too. But I, I you know, Alaska holds a place in my heart. We don't live there now, but I, and I find myself missing it. And we are planning to go back next summer for part of the summer. Uh, yeah, yeah. What drew you there to begin with? Well, my husband, we were a new couple and he got offered a job to lead the research division at Glacier Bay National Park. And we were really kind of in our 
early stages of being a couple. And I can remember when he got that phone call and the job offer and he hung up the phone. I knew it was something really important and he kind of rubbed his jaw and thought for a moment. And I, I knew it was important. I said, do you want me to leave? You know? And then he said, no. And he turned to me and said, what do you think about moving to Alaska with me? (laughs) And I had done some research up there, but I grew up in Indiana. I had never thought about living there. I loved it. I'd been there, you know, for a whole summer camping and so on, but I just jumped up and said, yes. And and, uh, yeah, and then that started our life there. And I got a job at the university teaching and doing research, actually doing research in Glacier Bay on harbor seals and sea lions and taking my students up into this tidewater glacial fjord at the head of, of Glacier Bay, where at that time, there were three or 4,000 harbor seals that bred and rested on, or they they used the floating glacial ice as their resting areas rather than land. So it's a real different dynamic habitat where they're moving past us. And I loved it up there. It was, And I loved working with the, my students. I had just fantastic students. And that's how we ended up in Alaska for 20 years. Oh my gosh, amazing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Do you ever just feel worried that like something else is gonna happen? Like this all came out of the blue. Right. Yeah. Everything was going yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Or have you gotten to a place where you're like, okay, that was a fluke? Like, how do you process all this now? That's a good question. I mean, so earlier on, well, even when my husband was released from the hospital, what they told him was that the kind of stroke he had was it was not caused by clogged arteries. He had they did more MRIs on him than anyone I know. And his blood vessels were clear. And they described it as an unusual accident, very unlikely to happen again. And um, basically, the, his vertebral artery, that's the artery that goes you know, into your brain through the back of your skull. And it makes an S curve before it 
goes into your head and the scraping and painting of the skylight, he had bent his neck a lot. And the most common cause of that kind of stroke is painting ceilings and plumbers get them. And I think it's rare enough that they're probably like a lot of things, there might be secondary factors, but they don't know what they are yet. But he, when he left the hospital, he was told there was a very, he was unlikely to have another stroke. And I heard that intellectually, but subliminally, I, I did, I worried about him. And he did have some neurological, like his balance. Mm-hmm. He had trouble right after the stroke. He leaned a few degrees to the left and had to unlearn that and learn how to walk. And so out on the boat, especially, I worried about him going overboard or, or I still did worry that if he had a stroke out there, could I get him to safety? Mm. So yes, I, but now, I mean, I think people, it's okay. It's a spoiler, but he does live. I I don't, I think that will be evident, but he's going strong and he's on the boat right now, but he worked, he worked very, very hard at the rehab. And I think there was a bit of serendipity for us also timing serendipity in that right about the year he had his stroke, there was a big pulse of exciting information coming out into the popular literature on brain plasticity. Mm-hmm. And there was a book published called The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Doig that chronicled a lot of these different cases where scientists and people who had had a stroke were discovering that by really pushing the body that there was more rewiring potential than we had previously thought. And my husband, coincidentally, had listened to a podcast interviewing that author about five or six months before he had a stroke. So I think his appreciation of that and then the benefit through the medical community helped him put the commitment behind the hard work that stroke recovery victims have to do you know, the, the physical therapy, it, it's hard stuff, you know, and it, and you can give up or lose hope because the progress isn't often that visible. So, yeah. And why write a book about this? Oh, okay. Well, you know, initially I didn't set out to write a book, but I, I was really compelled to share some of the dramatic stories. And as I mentioned, initially in journals, and then I initially wanted, I was so impressed with my husband, his his fight to regain his physical self. I wanted to tell stories about it. And then I remember in one of my very first, uh, I did eventually sign up to take a memoir writing class in California at a community college. And one of the first things the instructor there, whose name is Steve Boga, said, and I heard him say this to other students too, a lot of people come in, you know, wanting to write about you know, their grandmother or someone else. And he said, you know, memoir, usually a memoir is a lot more powerful if it's your journey and you have a journey, you know, that's worth sharing. So I shifted my focus a little bit. And then before I knew it, I had all these chapters or I had, you know, I'd scenes and then chapters. And then, but I didn't say the word book out loud. I mean, it was like, a, it would be a bad omen to... Mm-hmm. Even and, and even I didn't think about it early on because it felt pretentious because I'm trained as a biologist. I've always loved writing and I was a pretty good science writer, not like prolific or anything, but I knew 
how to write, but writing a scientific paper is very different than writing a memoir. So I had a lot to learn. And then I think because I started taking classes and I was around other writers, a few of whom took me under their wing and said, you could write a book. Dan O'Neill is a published author who did that early on. And then I had a few other mentors who started giving me courage. And eventually I said that four-letter word out loud, <laughs> probably my husband first, but I still can't believe. I mean, you you know what it's like when you feel your first book in your hands. It's just, and yeah, so. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's exciting. How does your husband and also your son, how do they feel about being written about? And was there was there any negotiation involved at the outset? They both have been, I mean, so wonderfully supportive. Um, no censorship at all. My husband, I have learned, he, every now and then along the way, I would have him read a chapter and I would, I interviewed him a lot also. That was a benefit I had. I, of course, a lot of women have written about their husbands who didn't survive. And um, that's a very much more difficult pathway, but I interviewed him. And then occasionally I would give him a chapter to read. Um, but I did not like, I didn't, for example, ask him to read the opening chapter for a long time. And one day, one evening I was, I went to a friend's book launch in, this was in Cotati, California. And she had invited two other friends of hers who were writers to read as well as she was reading from her, one of them bailed at the last second. And I was at the, I, it was at a restaurant. I, we, we came early, we had, uh, you know, a beer and dinner. And she said, Beth, you know, my friend bailed, could you read one of your scenes? And I said, oh, sure. And I happened to have an iPad with this story I'd written recently. And it was not, my husband was not even in it. It's the scene uh, you, you, I don't expect you to remember everything, but it's a, it's a really, to me, it's a, well, it's a scene that shows my relationship with my son. And it's, uh, it, we're in the hotel room. It's week one. We're exhausted. But he gave me that, you know, having a child around. And he was a really, he's a really delightful person and a solid friend of mine also. But we were, um, we ordered pizza and there's something that happened that was actually, um, quite funny and and I had not laughed of course because we <laughs> and I suddenly I was just he was making me laugh which as everybody knows that release of laughter can be so healthy and and you it's like your body just needs it but then it it spills over and I'm suddenly crying and I hadn't I hadn't I hadn't really cried I'd held it together to kind of be his advocate but that's the scene I read and while I was reading it in the restaurant um my husband suddenly stood up and walked out and I was, I couldn't stop. I mean, I, I saw that happen, but I finished reading and I thought, Oh, you know, what's, what's up, what's up. And mm -hmm. found him out in the patio. And I, and he said, I just, I just couldn't go back there. And he was very, very upset, hands deep in his pockets. And I, I started crying. I said, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. I, you know, you, and he said, no, no, uh, it was fine. You did a great job. You had that audience in your hands. You, your writing is good. I just can't go there. So I learned that I couldn't just expect him to jump in and do something like that. But he has read. He did sit down. He read the whole thing through. He had some feedback, but none of it was, you know, I go into some personal stuff and I show each of us in not 
good light. You know, we aren't a perfect couple. We do have disagreements and argue. And I think that's what makes it real. And um, he never once said, you can't write about that. Mm. I just feel he's a brave man. And to me, that just makes me love him more. Oh, so emotional. I'll just so, you know, <laughs> you also pair all of this sadness with bits of humor too. Even when you're talking about at the beginning, how he was, it was before work and he like adopted a certain stance, which you knew meant that he wanted to have sex. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what is this stance? Like, what do you think they're doing? <laughs> Well, I think I think I, I early on I left some of that out, but you know it, it <laughs> was so important to our story. But I do think people who've been together, <laughs> we know each other's signals, you know. And I knew he wanted to make love, but for me, I was I had this full day of work ahead, and so I you know, I just flagrantly ignored his signals, <laughs> and uh, and then of course I had some regret about that later because you know I was thinking. I mean, I really was in that mode of I had a checklist for the day and he might have been on it, but he was at the very bottom and I wasn't, you know, I didn't give him the attention he deserved. And on the other hand, it could have happened during that and that would have been really tough. Yeah. And that is exactly what uh, you bring up. We, we had a slight disagreement in our views of that later uh, that surprised me because I, we, we, neither of us knew exactly what the other person thought after the fact and um we had to come to terms with that yeah <laughs> still an unknown i think we both and you know there's no hard feelings you know what i mean of course <laughs> yeah or bother <laughs> yeah no I mean, at some point yeah yeah oh well i'm really impressed and i think it's awesome that you decided to write the book, that you wrote it so well. I mean, your prose is really good. It's like you should now, you should move on to like other narrative novels. I don't know. You could do a lot. Do you have plans to do another book? I do have another book actually that is all, it's completely drafted. I initially thought I was writing a book that spanned more time. Oh. And then a friend of mine, one day I read what is now the last chapter in that book. She said, you know, that could be the end of your book. Uh, it was too long. So I have another book I've written that actually starts 30 years before this one. Oh, that's so interesting. But I can't wait to get back to it. It will. I, I need to, it needs more revision, of course, but I've got a full draft and I plan to put that out there. You know, it'll take me a while to get it all polished up, but it's actually, I was thinking about it recently it has a similar arc. It is about loss, adventure, and love. And that's what this book, Deep Waters, is about. It's a really, I mean, for a book, maybe not a life, I don't know. Good combination <laughs> for a good read. Maybe not for a good year of life, but anyway. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Beth. Thank you for coming on and for sharing your story with us. Zibi, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about your life because you've got a lot going on. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. I really am just thrilled that I got to do this with you. You too. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks All right. so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.